Salud is supported by Texas Mutual Workers' Compensation Insurance Company. Be open to saying yes to things that you don't, not even sure how you're going to make it work. Just keep going. Find people that you can lean on um, that will tell you it's going to be okay. Take help when it's offered. It does not make you weak. Hola, welcome to Salud. I'm Melanie Mendez-Gonzalez, your host. On this episode of Salud, our focus is on health and Latinas who are leading in this vitally important field in San Antonio. We'll meet a doctor who has dedicated her career to studying health issues that affect Latinos in South Texas. And we'll meet the Latina who is leading the county's new health department. But we begin with a doctor who focuses her efforts on preventing diseases that affect the Latino community. Vamos. Dr. Ochoa, thank you for having us at your SAVE clinic today. I'm honored to have you here. Let's start by you sharing with us, what do you do? So I am by training a board certified vascular surgeon. Uh, and that means I take care of all the arteries and veins in the body, in the neck and the chest and the belly and the arms and the legs. I take care of our people who have bad circulation to their legs. Mm -hmm. uh, you've heard that people with diabetes sometimes have predisposed to having wounds that don't heal and that may mm -hmm. result in amputations. And that's often the result that diabetes also affects the blood flow to the legs. And so, as a vascular surgeon in San Antonio and noticing the needs of San Antonio, uh, what I also do is I run my own practice and my own business called the San Antonio Vascular and Endovascular Clinic. Mm -hmm. uh, I started in 2018 uh, and I focused my efforts in serving those areas of San Antonio that one, don't have the specialty care vascular surgery, but those who have the most health inequities and the health inequity I follow are diabetic amputations. And so I decided to put my clinics in the zip codes in San Antonio for the highest diabetic amputation rates. Uh, rural areas are also areas with health inequities. And so we go to two rural areas south of San Antonio as well. That's big, important work for our community. Tell me about how you wanted to become a doctor. I was in high school, like math, science. I was, I was good at all that. But I honestly did not know what I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, and honestly, being a doctor was never really crossed my mind until uh, when I was a senior in high school, the University of Texas Pan American, which is now uh, UTRGV, mm -hmm. and Baylor College of Medicine got together and offered an eight-year scholarship for seniors in high school in the Valley. And so it was the opportunity of a scholarship mm -hmm. that, to be honest, my father insisted I apply for, even when I said, but dad, I don't even know if I can be a doctor. Mm -hmm. He's like, it's free money, you're applying. <laughs> but it put me on a path uh, where people supported me. And so uh, 
that's how I went to Baylor College of Medicine, was on this eight-year scholarship. So you mentioned your dad, you mentioned that there were mentors along the way. Tell me about them. Who, who did help guide you? Sure. So as in Latina family, you know, our parents are big, big supporters. And there is no doubt that I could not have made it through medical school without my parents. Both of them uh, were, well, my dad was a farmer in the Rio Grande Valley. My mom was a migrant worker. And they vowed that their, all their kids were going to get a college education. Not everyone has that kind of support. Um, other mentors along the way, I'm going to tell you, for people that you would not expect. So, you know, people who don't look like us. I had mentors at Baylor College of Medicine that I often ask, like, why are you wanting to help me? And I'll be honest with you, they're white men who mm -hmm. supported me, who created the scholarship, who helped me find research projects. And I never understood initially why, and I was hesitant to take that help. Because as a Latina, mm -hmm. I'm strong enough, I'm gonna do it on my own. And so some advice I would give is take help when it's offered, it does not make you weak. And oftentimes, the people who support you will be people you would never expect. So how would you describe your leadership style today? I think it's a little bit of everything. Um, one, I like to lead by example. I mean, if I'm not willing to help my patients out of the car, into the bathroom, out of the bathroom, then how am my front desk and my medical assistant supposed to do it too? Mm -hmm. So leading from example, from what I do, take care of patients from the beginning all the way up. Um, also one, uh, a leadership with compassion. One thing that I, is important, as you had mentioned, is not only do I as a physician struggle with taking care of sick people, but my entire staff does. They see people at their most vulnerable stages, and sometimes that's not great, but that wears on them too. And so allowing them that compassion to, sometimes they may not be in a good mood and this is hard, um, I like to allow them to have that grace with themselves that mm -hmm. this is not easy, what we do is not easy. I guess I try to say, I try to lead depending on the situation that I, that's at hand. And sometimes that means you just have to do it. Right. And so that was one of that examples is creating SAVE and creating on the south side because there was not enough care here. There's not enough specialty care here. And at some point I just had to prove, no, you, it can be done. And so we focus our entire practice in the underserved areas, west side, east side, south side. You're doing this work now. People are watching, young Latinas are watching. What do you hope for them? What do you hope for Latinas who go into medicine? Love that question. But I hope for Latinas who are up and coming in medicine to be future doctors, surgeons, or any other healthcare worker, <laughs> is I hope that they hear, you can do it, you deserve to be here, I'm here to help you. You're smart enough, you're good enough. So what's your advice to them today? My advice is if it's in your heart, if it's in your heart to serve your community, if that's what really brings you passion, healthcare is for you. I love that. I'm, I'm very curious, what is driving your passion to serve specifically the South Side of San Antonio? When I first moved to San Antonio, I actually worked in hospitals up north all the way to down south. Mm -hmm. And I witnessed not only different types of patients, how sick they were, the outcomes, they were having more heart attacks, strokes, amputations on very, very young patients, 30, 40, 50 years old. And I knew it was not right. Mm -hmm. But I also saw that the care delivered from physician to patient 
was different. And when I began to ask myself, why is this? Why do we have different types of care? Why do we have different types of outcome in a large city? And it's when I learned about the history of San Antonio, about the history of racism, segregation, and redlining of San Antonio, where we actually had intentional disinvestment in the areas of San Antonio that suffer the most today. So South Side, West Side, East Side, if you look at a 1930s map of redlining San Antonio, it's the exact same map of diabetic amputation rates. Mm. It's the exact same map as COVID death rates. It makes me a little bit mad. Yeah. It makes me mad that it's not right and it's not fair. And I believe that to overcome that disinvestment, we have to put as much effort and intentionality to changing it as they, it was created to create it. So that means we have to make up for some for some things that had not happened for decades and decades. I want to invest in the SaaS side to create that ecosystem for health so that it's easy for people to make those choices, those healthy food choices, those let's go out and walk in the park choices, uh, let's go out and not be lonely because we have fun events on the south side or on the west side that bring people out that are affordable. Mm -hmm. How do we create that ecosystem for health? And so my vision is bigger than just direct healthcare. It's how do we build that environment for health. That makes me excited thinking about your vision for that. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your passion with us, Dr. Ochoa. Thank you. Let's start by you sharing with us, what do you do? I am the inaugural director of public health for Bear County. Um, I'm the first to lead this department because it's a new department, the Department of Public Health. Um, last year in 2022, the county judge and commissioner's court uh, decided that Bear County would be best served by having a defined cohesive public health entity. So they created the Department of Public Health and I'm fortunate to be able to lead it. We often hear Latinas are the first of many things, but what leadership lessons have you learned as being the inaugural director? Um, I've worked in public health in Bear County for about 16 years, have worked in public health as a career for about 23 years, and so um, have lot, had lots of leadership lessons along the way. Um, I think the, the biggest thing for me is that I've been able to draw on my own personal experiences um, growing up and uh, my experiences in my family and apply those to the communities that we serve in public health, the people that have been made most vulnerable by historical inequities, by oppression and marginalization and lots of other um, barriers that, that can negatively affect people's health. There was poverty, you know, growing up with not a lot of money and no access to care. I, you know, I got my shots at the free clinic. We visited food pantries and we got, you know, hand-me-down clothes from the church and things like that. And so having grown up like that, it's been um, a privilege to be able to have gone through the, the degrees that I did and have the opportunities that I've had to be able to um, serve the communities that I'm still a part of, that you know, that I once was a part of. Um, so I really understand what it's like to be a user of the system, 
um, and been able to, to use those services and know what it's like to sit on this side of the table. And so I'm really fortunate to be able to take that experience and that um, understanding and then be able to provide those services or help you know, facilitate the provision of those services from this side of the table as well. It's a real privilege. Thank you for sharing that part of your journey, Dr. Guerrero. It makes me wonder in this non-linear journey that you've had to be the inaugural director here, were there mentors along the way that helped guide you through this path? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, there's been so many. You know, I've had lots of folks who were CEOs of hospital systems who guided me, um, who were, you know, hospital administrators who taught me how to work through the, you know, because it's, it's hard to basically enter public health and then go into a hospital system and learn how to use that, that um, sort of organizational infrastructure. Um, but I think the, the most important mentors in my life um, have been my peers, other women, other Latinas who have similar backgrounds and similar struggles. We're not all the same, but because we come from cultural similarities, we come from economic similarities, we've gone through um, first gen as first gen college students or as first generation PhDs, you know, people who have, you know, the first in their families to get PhDs. Um, it's, it's important to be able to lean on those women and to be able for them to lean back a little bit. How would you describe your leadership style? Oh, servant leadership, definitely. Um, you know, situational at times, you know, every, every situation calls for, for a different um, approach to how we lead. But at my core, I am a servant to our community, to my family, you know, how I, I really try to live every day in my career and in my life and how can I be of service to others. Dr. Guerrero, having the, the title doctor is a, is a whole thing for Latinas in itself. What does yeah. it mean for you? It's huge. Um, I, wear, I wear it on my on my chest. My you know my nameplate says doctora, um, and there have been several very important women who have said you know if they can't see us they can't be us, um, and so it it means a lot that we're able to say yes to introduce myself as Dr. Andrea Guerrero because as I said I was first in my family um, to to get that PhD but. Latinas are one of the most underrepresented demographics in the country when it comes to attaining doctoral degrees. Less than 1% of all doctorates conferred in the United States go to women who are Latinas. So I was just recently at a conference, uh, an academic conference, and you sit in those rooms and you're usually the only one. And so being the only one and making sure that I'm representing myself and my county and my city and um, as and, you know, introducing myself as doctora, is, it's really important and it, it's changed the trajectory of my children's education, of my entire family. So what do you hope for the future of Latinas in public health? I hope that there are more of us. I hope that we continue to grow because there are certain things, there are certain issues of cultural intuition, the legitimacy of lived experience, of, of people who understand um, why some health behaviors are related to our culture, why language is important linguistically, how are we serving people um, in communities that speak other languages besides English. Um, and so I do think that the more diversity that we have, the more people that we have that bring different perspectives, and I don't just mean racial uh, diversity or ethnic diversity, but like people that speak different languages, people that come from different neighborhoods in San Antonio. We're very different um, in terms of our experiences and where we came from and how we got here. So I, I really would like for people just to um, keep getting those degrees in public health. So back into the, the topic of Latina leaders, when, when I say the term Latina leaders, what do you think of? Oh, I think of, of almost every 
um, like level on the spectrum of Latina. I think any woman that um, strives to be the best and strives for excellence, she's a Latina leader. She is someone who is saying, Let's, look, I'm showing up as my best self. I don't think it has to do with your title. It doesn't have to do with your degrees. I think it's the person that says, I'm representing myself and my community in the best possible way. The advice I usually give to people is uh, lean on your networks, look for your networks. And I know some people don't have them, but but it, you know you can find people who can be your village. Thank you, Dr. Guerrero, so much for sharing all of that with us. Thank you for your service as the inaugural Director of Public Health. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Dr. Ramirez, we're here at UT Health San Antonio. Tell us about what do you do? Thank you, Melanie. Uh, well, I am the uh, professor and chair of the Department of Population Health Sciences, and uh, we focus on health issues impacting um, Latinos throughout South Texas, and uh, you know, just try to really make lives better through uh, prevention and different types of work that, that we do that is really focusing on the community. That's a big job. So tell me, where did you get your education? Where did you go to college and, and postgraduate? Sure. Ah, gosh, that's a long time ago, but uh, <laughs> I uh, started at the University of Houston mm -hmm. uh, and I got an undergraduate degree in psychology. Uh, then I went and worked for a year in Laredo and became a South Texas health planner, which really uh, allowed me to visit different counties throughout South Texas and focusing on different health issues. And um, during that time, I met some people uh, who were part of the School of Public Health in Houston, okay. part of the UT School of Public Health, and uh, really kind of got intrigued in some of the work that they were doing. And they said, well, why don't you come back to school? And so I, I did. I went back and I uh, worked on my master's, got a master's in, uh, in public health there in Houston, um, and then started working for Baylor College of Medicine. And my first job at Baylor was actually a health communications person uh, uh, assigned to working with the Hispanic community in the navigation area of Houston. And while I was doing that work, back, back in the day we, we rewrote grants and uh, one of the grants um, focused on talking about high blood pressure. And so we did a program called um, El Asesino Silencioso, meaning the silent killer, mm -hmm. as it was affecting a large portion of our, our community. And um, so somebody saw me and saw my work and they said, you know, you really need to go back and work on a doctoral degree. So uh, they recruited me to work on their study and at the same time gave me that opportunity to work on um, a, a doctoral degree there at also within the School of Public Health in Houston. Those are some great opportunities. Yeah, yeah. For a girl from Laredo. <laughs> that's right, that's <laughs> right. I mean, you know, just even going to school at, at uh, U of H back mm -hmm. in the day, um, 
you know, my father was a little concerned. It was dorms had just turned co-ed, you know, and he says, I'm leaving you here. Don't you want to go to that Catholic school, all girls school <laughs> down the street? You know? So, yeah, uh, it was it was a big difference. Yeah. What was it like for you to grow up in Laredo? Tell us about your family. Okay. Um, well, I'm, I'm one of five. I had four, four brothers and um, my parents were um, middle class. My dad was um, an aircraft mechanic for the Laredo Air Force Base. Uh, and my mom was a stay-at-home mom, but on weekends we we'd go work out at the ranch. Uh, we you know would help and round up cattle, and you know I've, I've always enjoyed horseback riding and you know being out in the country. So going from spending time with your family on the ranch to being the director of the Institute for Health Promotion Research. What have been some of your biggest challenges? Some of the biggest challenges were um, working with different individuals who had higher education degrees than I had at the beginning, you know, um, that was important and that's kind of what motivated me. And I, you know, I had a wonderful mentor that encouraged me. He says, do you want to be part of a program or do you want to lead a program? And he said, if you want to lead a program, you really need to go after your doctoral degree. And so, um, and he supported me in that and gave me that opportunity. And so that truly uh, made a big difference. Um, but then at the same time, I started feeling a passion for my own community. As I got into this field, I didn't see very many people like me or that were dealing with Latino uh, issues, health issues in particular, you know, and I said, where are we? And as I attended different national meetings, you know, sometimes I was the voice of one, you know, in a larger group, mainly of men uh, representing other population groups. But I, I was trying to be the voice for all of us. And so um, I think just those experiences have helped me really become the, the leader and uh, really encourage our institute to focus on what are those disparities that are impacting our residents in South mm -hmm. Texas, you know, and not only in South Texas, but nationally. And uh, when I started to think national, I, I went after some funds from the National Cancer Institute and developed the first study uh, that was called the National Hispanic Leadership Initiative on uh, on cancer for okay. Hispanics. You, you mentioned um, the challenges that you've, you've overcome have made you the leader you are today. How would you describe that, your leadership style? Uh, my leadership style is really a servant leadership style, and I, I can't take credit to where we are today. It's really taken a lot of teamwork, and my, my team is amazing. Many of them have been with me for many years now, um, and it's just that family that we have developed and on all of us saying we've got to do a little bit more we've got to find a way to make a change you definitely understand that role models and mentors are important you mentioned one mentor before but have there been other role models or mentors for you throughout your career uh, definitely my, my mom and dad have just been you know my first you know just to seeing how hard they work to make sure that they provided you know for the family and giving us the opportunities and um, you know um, and a very modest way and then um, they, there were uh, some of the people I've met on committees um, these are just uh, amazing leaders that I got I had no idea that uh, this job would open up those opportunities for me to, to meet to meet them these are researchers in cancer uh, you know researchers who were uh, working in different parts of the country um, and, and everything and so um, it, was, it was truly uh, amazing um, to, to come across some of those opportunities. 
So what advice would you give to Latina women who want to go into the field that you are and make a difference in the community the way you do? I think, you know, part of it is be open to saying yes to things that you don't, not even sure how you're going to make it work, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I think that was the biggest thing for me. Um, and I, I, I always just say yes, and then afterwards, I say, oh, my gosh, why did I say yes? <laughs> how am I going to make this work? But, mm-hmm. you know, I'd, I'd go back and I'd do some research, or I'd find, you know, someone who knew something about it, and I would be able to come up with a plan to, to make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so not to be af- afraid of taking that leap and trying something new. I think is really critical. The other is um, it, it, it took a lot of midnight oil to uh, to get to where I am right now, you know, and a lot of sacrifices both from the, our family uh, and um, from the point of view that I wasn't always able to be at certain things that I would have liked to have been at, right? Because right. I got it to finish a project or we had a deadline that needed. And so learning how to prioritize, you know, I mean, family was always important in my faith. Uh, those two things, uh, you know, I'll, I'll never let go of. But um, they, I knew when I could could sacrifice a little here to, to make sure this got done. Uh, and so that would be the advice, you know, learning how to prioritize, making sure you're tight with your family, because it also takes a spouse or a significant other that is willing to support you. And I've been very fortunate to have those those opportunities. So one last thing I want to ask you about, you, you, you mentioned it earlier, was that sometimes you were the only one in the room, the only one who looked like you. What advice would you share for the, for the women, for the Latinas who find themselves in that same situation? I think that um, one of the things is to learn to speak up because right as part of our culture we're, we're kind of quiet to begin with and um, you hear those syndromes where like you were going to raise your hand and you didn't and somebody else said what you were going to say so um, so if anything I've learned that I, I need to speak up and to speak up quickly as soon as I think about it even though it might not fit in the flow mm-hmm. but to make sure that you get your thoughts you know out there because uh, if not somebody else is going to and you're going, I was just thinking that. Why didn't I say anything? So uh, I, I think I've learned how to speak up a little bit more and not be quite quite so modest. <laughs> That's fantastic advice. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. And thank you for sharing your story with us. We appreciate oh, it. Oh, thank you. efforts our guests today are making in keeping South Texas healthy. We're so proud of all of our Latina leaders in health. That's it for this episode of Salud. Thank you for spending time with us and we'll see you next time. Nos vemos. by Texas Mutual Workers' Compensation Insurance Company.